I've always looked at is look, it, it's you can be penny wise and pound foolish. Yeah. And as long as yeah. you're driving the organization to assimilate to the tool, start using it, you're meeting milestones, you've got a good project management team on implementation, then uh, I don't fear having those people around uh, because usually I budgeted for it. But number two, I know that if I pull the plug on them too early, I'm going to spend a whole lot more money digging out of that mess. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now... Here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. While ERP systems have come a long way with their capabilities and faster time to value, these investments still take a long time to deliver value to your business, even if you may have gone live within 90 days. Also, you will uncover real issues with the ERP system once you start running your business on the new system due to the lack of interest from most stakeholders during the testing and implementation phase. Finally, the post-implementation phase may cost you more than the pre-implementation phase. But if you pull the plug after investing for many months or years, cleaning it up and upgrading to the new system may be even costlier. In today's episode, our guest, Matt Dietrich, shares his insights on why ERP implementation projects must be treated as a journey instead of a one-time deal. He also discusses the importance of a fully connected ERP system, even for commercial decision-making and how to spot old versus newer ERP system with deeper capabilities to drive the decision-making. Finally, he outlines why committing to a platform and continuous investment is more important than upgrading it every couple of years. Let me introduce Matt to you. Matt Dietrich is CEO of Elko Manufacturing Corporation, a middle market contract manufacturing machining business based in metropolitan Cleveland, Ohio, with over 600 employees and seven production facilities located across Midwestern states. Elko is a private equity portco of middle ground capital based in Lexington, Kentucky and New York City. Elko specializes in high-complexity machining and metal forming of steel, brass, aluminum, and specialty alloy materials for a wide variety of applications. Diverse and markets served by Elko include, for example, fluid, power, energy, transportation, and various consumer products. Matt brings over 32 years of professional, functional, and executive leadership experience along with a broad perspective in leading, profitably growing, and operationally optimizing diverse global industrial 
in automotive manufacturing businesses operating under public, private, foreign, and private equity ownership. He has developed an extensive commercial strategic planning and execution background with notable expertise involving many key facets of complex, successful B2B businesses. These include commercial processes that ensure profitable organic growth systems for enabling and sustaining the journey towards operational excellence, comprehensive technology and automation integration, business platform development and M&A strategy and integration, in particular involving businesses operating in bespoke, engineered components and system design, manufacturing, OEM and distribution channel management and high-tech manufacturing, capital equipment and markets. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hey Matt, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks Sam, good to be here. Amazing and I'm super excited to dig into your background. Obviously you have done a lot of different ERP implementations and they are always fun, especially when it comes to doing this for manufacturing companies and obviously you have tons of background there. Just to kick things off, do you want to start with your personal story and your current focus, Matt? Sure. Well, uh, generically, uh, I'm a 30-plus year guy. I'm an engineer, but I uh, come up through uh, engineered products manufacturing businesses. And I look back over the span of those last uh, 30 years, specifically relating to things like using uh, tools like ERP systems, uh, I've operated in the public company arena and private equity uh, arena. So uh, all of them have a little bit different twists on investments that they make and expectations they have for uh, certain tools they use and, and ways they want to run the businesses efficiently. So it's given me a perspective I think that uh, I think has helped me, uh, particularly as of late, uh, understand what I do want to do and what I don't want to do when it comes to ERP systems. Okay, and that is going to be a learning that not a lot of people have. Uh, you know, you really want to hone down in terms of what uh, anybody is really capable of doing versus not capable of doing. So I am glad that you have at least figured that out. So we are going to dig into all of those stories. We have one more standard question that we ask every single guest, Matt, and that is going to be your perspective on business growth. Well, I think uh, generally speaking, everybody's it's a race to efficiency. Uh, that's what enables differentiation, yep. which facilitates growth, profitable growth. So um, when you think about the, the things that you do to uh, work on the business, uh, tools you use within the business to yep. help you be efficient, help you be differentiated. Um, that's one of the reasons why I love talking about ERP systems, because uh, uh, it, it's the backbone of all of the uh, different moving parts of a business. Uh, as a as a machine of generating profitability yep. for the uh, for the ownership uh, that that makes everything work. So uh, it's it's uh, something that I think you can never be fully completed in doing. It's always a journey. Yeah. And uh, even you know you look at the the sophistication of the systems that are in place now versus even five or ten years ago. It's just amazing what they can do and new uh, new skill sets they've given businesses. To serve customers in a way that uh, makes that changes their expectations of what's normal, uh, and that's kind of the exciting part when you think about uh, companies that are even perhaps in an old technology business. Well, they could be new technology if they're using these tools correctly. So yeah, so you bring a very interesting point, and I would definitely be interested in digging a little deeper into that. And that is going to be thinking of ERP from the customer's perspective. I don't know how many businesses 
really think from that perspective. So let's dig into your story first, okay? Uh, the ERP story that you wanted to share. And by the way, Mithi, when I think of the ERP, sure, ERP is a great tool or any tool is a great tool. But then we need to have the business context. We need to have a compelling problem before we start solving that, right? So tell us about the backstory of the business that in which you implemented the ERP. What was the business like? What was the business model, products, customers? How big was the business? How was the organization? Sure. Well, the first uh, half of my career, I worked for two very large public companies that were okay. engaged in uh, in, in steel manufactured uh, products businesses, all bespoke, uh, a lot of customization. Yeah. Uh, and like many companies like that, uh, they may change an ERP system every 10 years, if that. Yep. Uh, many of them still have homegrown systems. Uh, but as of late, uh, most realize to be competitive, they need some of the functionality that only the, the more recent kind of tools in that space uh, facilitate. So one company I'm thinking in particular uh, had a legacy system, yeah. and they entered a period of very um, prolonged high market demand, demand that outstripped capacity, and the existing system was limiting their ability to capitalize on that. Not just to inability to secure growth, but ability to satisfy current businesses and uh, not have all the customers hate you. Yeah. So uh, that company went through a pretty large transformation to a mainline ERP uh, system while I was running the uh, the commercial organization, you know, sales and marketing and uh, customer hearing, that type of thing. So uh, very much was uh, front of mind in my daily life and that of my team is that um, we had an inability to leverage the system in a way that would allow us to make really smart decisions in that kind of a market environment. Yeah. Too much demand, not enough supply. So the system uh, that uh, that company invested heavily to go to, well in excess of $100 million and many, many years of implementation, uh, allowed that company to, uh, to really start to decide who and how to serve uh, and in, uh, under what conditions uh, under this prolonged multi-year uh, up market. Uh, and that that created a lot of really interesting kind of dynamics and, and stories as you think about customers that were used to being treated a certain way. And all of a sudden you had information that actually would, would allow you to treat them a little differently, sometimes better, sometimes not so much. Perhaps they weren't as profitable. An uh, example that always comes to mind is some customers that would uh, be very, um, very bad at forecasting, okay. very bad at giving us their demand signal and constantly changing orders last minute. Yeah. And you, you think about the uh, the inefficiency that creates in a manufacturing plant and the fact that, uh, you know, unless you know that that's going on, if you're just accommodating the customer at every whim, you think you're doing them a favor and you're actually, uh, you're degrading your ability to serve most of your customers well. So that reality um, caused this uh, this investment in a large change to a, a very, very fully um, a holistic kind of an ERP system. And as a result of that, the information that was now available allowed us to go in and prioritize customers based on profitability or yeah. set up rules of engagement that limited uh, their ability to do things that would create unnecessary churn due to lack of planning in factories that were already very, very full. So um, just making that change across a customer base of literally thousands of customers all yeah. at once yeah. uh, with a couple hundred salespeople uh, was pretty uh, a pretty amazing experience. But at the end of it, uh, once you got customers to realize that by cooperating uh, with this kind of new approach, they actually could get better performance in terms of reliability deliveries or shorter lead times, 
Yeah. They started to see the benefits and it really started to change that customer behavior. And uh, that, that's great in a lot, for a lot of reasons. But on the uh, on the internal side, it allowed us to be more efficient, which allowed us to be more profitable and understand things like, um, you know, where our pricing was for similar yeah. parts across yeah. uh, multiple industries. Maybe we weren't uh, leveraging that correctly or maybe, um, you know, we weren't serving uh, customers that, that had earned a position of uh, perhaps uh, they should legitimately expect a little better service. So uh, that, that's the big takeaway of that experience. And uh, since then, I've gone through multiple ERP system changes and other businesses I've run, uh, other different platforms, none of them as, as sophisticated as that one, but uh, at least yeah. the concepts yeah. I was able to, to take into those other uh, businesses, and no matter what the tool was, and still try to prioritize things like rules of engagement or um, you know, profitability uh, maximization, or, or uh, you know, cutting down on expediting just by having some sense in the beginning of the of the demand signal process. Very interesting story. So obviously, I am going to have a lot of questions to dig dig deeper into that, and I like to peel. Uh, you know, uh, sure. my listeners are familiar with me how I like to do the interviews. So one of the questions I'm going to have just to provide a little bit more background in the story, because one of the things that you did not touch is going to be the kind of products they were selling. So you did mention that they were in the steel industry. The demand was really uh, sort of outstripping the the supply that they had, and they had challenges because of that. So this seems like slightly more commoditized manufacturing. So do you want to mention a little bit about the product mix as well, what kind of products they were selling? And if you yeah, have seen the similar product mix in the other situations as well. Yeah, the product mix in that particular business was was pretty complex. Okay. Um, you know, everything from... Uh, from very small volume, high complexity of bespoke products to mainline catalog type product. Yeah. All of it went across the same uh, you know, set of uh, factories and assets. So all that complexity had to be managed adeptly by uh, you know, the system. Yeah. And uh, including all the inputs and all the outputs that you expected. So um, that definitely was a factor. I will say that was a complex business relative to others that I've run. But uh, you know, every business has its own little personality, and depending on uh, uh, what the levers are that you need to, to manipulate to make that business successful, it helps you understand what kind of a tool and what kind of attributes and features and you know you want in that tool when you when you select it and when you implement it. Okay. Amazing. So I need a little bit more background there. So you didn't mention that you know you had a little bit of customer-driven demand, and when I think of that, I am going to think that this is going to be slightly more high volume manufacturing. It is going to be uh, slightly more forecastable parts, uh, as opposed to this one, uh, the one that you mentioned that, you know, these were the custom parts uh, that you were building. So why were they customer demand driven? And do you want to paint a little bit more colors into the, the product mix? Provide probably an example of what kind of product it was and which industries were using it. Sure. Well, the, the uh, this particular business uh, was was uh, a base manufacturing a basic component that goes into most machinery, most okay. uh, mobile equipment, or or uh, you know many many different markets. And uh, that product was such that it had a lot of sub uh, component families. Okay. So you may have one particular type of an industry that's driving demand of one portion of that family, but not another, and another that's uh, has much more spotty demand. It's not as forecastable. It's got some special features they build in later in the product. Balancing that was really the essence of getting the most efficiency, the most throughput across those assets. You could you could serve the most customers in the best possible fashion. So I, I think um, in, you know forecasting. You mentioned if a, if a biz, if any kind of a piece of 
our product line or piece of business is forecastable, that's great, but there's always some error induced in that. Nobody's yeah. perfect. Yeah. Otherwise, everybody would be in the stock market uh, and, and uh, not working. <laughs> yeah. uh, so there's inherently uh, an inability in some very, very large industries to give reliable forecasts out past three months, much less a year or two when you're doing major planning and deciding how to configure your footprint. So all of that plays into the, the, um, uh, the system's ability to take information on the front end and manipulate it in such a way that presents you with choices, information to allow you to make choices and make decisions that ultimately give you the best possible mix of results. And I think that's what a lot of companies struggle with in the absence of a well-defined ERP system, even to this day. Yeah, I completely agree. So let's go back to your comment about, you know, you handling more of the commercial aspect of the business. And I talk to a lot of, you know, commercial guys who are handling either the sales, marketing or the customer service. Uh, They are not going to be as connected with the operations. Obviously, everybody is going to be sort of connected, but not as connected because they are trying to run their own budgets. They are trying to run their own departments. And I don't know if you are familiar with the CRM systems. Uh, If you look at CRM systems, they are going to be slightly more siloed as compared to your integrated ERP system. So let's say if I'm talking to one of my mid-market executives, and this is the story that I get all the time, they have two choices. They can either implement a sophisticated ERP system or they can implement a CRM system that is going to be slightly easier from their perspective because they are let's say, either spending money from their own budget, they don't have to talk to finance and operations, they don't have to have these massive meetings, and they can probably roll out the CRM in four months, and ERP is probably going to take 12 months or whatever. So from their perspective, let's say, if they are going to make the, I don't know if you are going to call this a mistake in terms of rolling out the standalone CRM, because that is actually going to have all of those integration needs, but you did mention that, you know, you need to make these smarter decisions. Now, the smarter decisions are really in the commercial department. You are making that, right? So you need a lot of data. So can you make these decisions, let's say, if you were to roll out just the CRM implementation as opposed to having that integrated ERP system? I don't think so, because I think the backbone is always the ERP system. Uh, The CRM on top of that is very, very useful because it enables things like a a robust uh, SNOP or sales inventory and operations planning. Because that's where the, a lot of the inputs will come from is the market and customer level information that drives demand forecasts, right? And that's, that's half of the equation is the demand forecast. So I think you can have an effective business that runs uh, with a very, very good ERP and no CRM, but it's so much better with a good CRM that's integrated. At the same time, if I look at a business with a really lousy ERP system, but they went out and bought, uh, let's say, Salesforce, which is a very well-respected, very well-developed CRM system, uh, I think they're going to (laughs) struggle no matter what, how good the sales and commercial people are are doing to use that uh, CRM system. So it's good to have both, but if I had to prioritize one or the other, I would do the ERP system first and then layer on these other ancillary systems that really allow you to, to maximize it. Yeah, so obviously the struggle is very subjective depending upon how much money you have in your bank account because you, <laughs> you can you can you probably integrate anything and everything. You can develop whatever you want, but at the end of the day, what is going to happen is that is actually going to drive a lot of custom code. It's going to drive broken integrations, and then you are going to get a lot of issues because of that. By the way, there is another twist in that. So let's say if you have CRM system, they are not necessarily meant for the SNOP planning, to be honest. Okay, they right. are really the data entry tool 
for your customer interaction. In fact, the way I like to define the CRM systems is going to be any of the pre-sales process is really good in CRM. So if you have really sophisticated pre-sales process, that's going to be your marketing automation. You are doing a lot of work with your lead generation. You are doing your marketing department is very sophisticated. Maybe you have a product that actually requires a lot of marketing. For example, let's say if you are in the ERP sales business, you need to put a lot of effort in your marketing and sales. You might not be putting as much effort in the actual implementation, but your marketing is going to be thicker. For example, let's say if you are selling a very heavy material handling equipment, okay? In that, you need to put a lot of effort in, in, in marketing. So that's where your uh, CRM is going to be super handy, but you still require your ERP. Your ERP is not going to be as heavy. But the businesses that you are describing for those, obviously, you are going to be having super heavy ERP. But the SNOP processes that you mentioned, for that, you have some more tools, okay? So you are going to probably require a tool for your FPNA process, a specialized tool for your inventory or SNOP process, okay? Then you might have some more planning there. For example, if you are doing human resources separately, so you might need a separate tool for that. Because you ERP is really going to be the system of record. They are not necessarily as good at planning, depending upon how robust you are in planning. So you are going to require all of these systems. So sometimes that gets super confusing for people. Have you seen similar scenarios when you have run out of any specific capabilities in the implementation that you have seen and you had to bring in a specialized system? Yes. In fact, in one particular business where they did not have a CRM system, you had to kind of do it the old-fashioned way. You think yeah. about uh, when, you, when you're loading forecast into an ERP system, it was it's always traditionally been a very manual process. When you think about uh, layered programs of new businesses that are launching uh, pieces of new business that launch over time uh, and, and getting that to be able to, to be part of the, the forecast. Doing that manually, it's very difficult. Uh, you do it, tend to do it as a, a discrete uh, snapshot in time, whereas uh, another business where we had both, um, we, had, we had put in a really, really nice ERP system and a CRM. A lot of that was automated. We were able, by maintaining uh, customer level new programs and pipeline data, we could load that into the long-term forecast that fed the ERP inputs uh, and got a much better result on the back end. So there, there's an argument for, for both and for automating all of these processes. I think um, if I can go up to 100,000 foot level, it seems to me, as I've watched businesses uh, evolve over the last 30 plus years, 35 years, uh, ERP systems have been around for a while, but they've gotten so much better. Yep. But the idea of a CRM, a true a mechanized um, uh, automated CRM, is a relatively new phenomenon in the landscape, like in the last 10 or 15 years max. In fact, probably in the last five or 10, they've really gotten good. So it was kind of the last frontier when you think about a, a business as a um, a, a box with a crank on it and you're turning the business model and hopefully spinning profit. Yeah. That was one of the last business processes that was not fully automated and integrated with the rest of uh, things like uh, uh, PLM systems for engineering and manufacturing and ERP systems, and HRS systems on, H on the HR front. Having uh, the commercial uh, information all automated as well just makes everything uh, you know, work a lot better like a symphony and helps the business sing. Yeah, I completely agree. So when you look at this evolution of the ERP systems, and you have referred on this comment a, a couple of times in the conversation that, you know, they have come a long way, obviously. There's no question about that. But let's say you have some of the manufacturing executives, and they don't, don't really know how to 
either procure the ERP systems or compare the ERP systems for them, what they typically do is they are going to pick what, you know, the checklist, they are going to compare the features and capabilities. Look, you know, whatever you did in 1980s from the capabilities perspective, your business is probably the same right now as well. Okay, but overall, from the technology perspective, overall, the capabilities of the systems, they have come a long way. So let's say if I were to ask you, okay, describe the evolution of the system. What are the changes that you have noticed in your experience in these systems that you can spot? No, 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 no. This is the 15-year-old. This is the five-year-old. This is the 10-year-old system. This is 25-year-old. How do you spot that? Well, boy, I mean, if you take big picture swaths uh, at that answering that question, you think back to uh, back when things were on green screens, you know, 4100 systems back yeah. in the 80s, a yeah. lot of company. And just getting that into the place where we had point and click kind of, uh, you know, web interface kind of a, a, a user interface for those systems. That was a huge evolution. But beyond something as simple as that, it's really more about the um, the uh, expanded functionality and access to information, your ability to manipulate information and organize it in a way that gives you trends and uh, uh, gives you information that leads to conclusions that force a decision point that ultimately helps you solve a problem. That's where I think you've seen this evolution in ERP systems. And they are, as I said, so good now, uh, so many of them, that, uh, that it really comes down to uh, matching the best tool to the particular type of business you have and the, the uh, struggles that your business is experiencing that you're trying to solve. And there's a whole process for doing that. that you can be, a lot of companies will start out doing self-study. There's all kinds of flowcharts and things you can find online to help you kind of get at least to start at organizing your thoughts. Yeah. But uh, I think a facilitated approach to evaluating different tools is a better route to go. You'll save time. It'll cost you a little money up front, but I think you save money long term. And then you go through the whole RFP process where people come in and, and uh, you give them some some uh, surrogate data. They do some analysis, come back with a proposal, tell you, uh, give you uh, demos and show you how the software will help solve the problems that you've, you've articulated. Uh, and they speak with data uh, and you go through that several times. You start to get a really good sense for what the, the current state of the uh, options are for yourself. And then it's about making that, uh, that investment and the commitment to stick with the investment. Uh, I say that because I remember back in the same time frame that uh, I was implementing or involved in it, helping to implement that ERP system, that large public manufacturing company, there was another similar size multi-billion dollar company putting in the same software suite. Yeah. And they went about two and a half years, spent, uh, I think the rumor was $125 million and then pulled the plug because they just they didn't view it as a journey. They wanted it to be kind of a you know, put it in, spend the money, and away you go. And I think you have to look at this as many times you're changing the entire your entire process from new business development order to cash all the way through to fulfillment yeah. and collection of. You're changing that so much that it's it's a cultural change. It's it's a mindset change. Yeah. And I think the biggest piece of advice is you think you've done all the hard work when you started in the beginning, going through an evaluation, made a decision, picked a solution. You're now you're implementing it that you've done most of the heavy lifting, that's <laughs> that's not even 10% of it. It's really sticking with the investment you've made and getting the culture in your company to back off and abandon those old ways, those old workarounds, the, the uh, band-aids and bailing wire, wire they used to have on the old homegrown system, say, yeah. uh, that allowed them to do certain things in a certain way. And often they'll lose some of that functionality in a short-term uh, way by going to a new, better tool. 
Yeah. Uh, and, and you have to get them over that hump until they realize that the new tool actually is going to make life better for them. Uh, maybe not in the exact same way, but it all will come together uh, once they all assimilate to the change and use the tool. So I, I always think about that, and I've always remembered that story of that large company that got spent all that money, got halfway into it, and then it decided to abandon it. And we're right back with the old tool again and a whole mess and a bunch of uh, angry people inside their company, angry customers too. Yeah. And uh, th that's the kind of commitment I think that uh, that is required when you're putting in one of these systems. But, boy, the benefits are there, uh, and I think that's why these – uh, these are not uh, these have been around for a while and they're here to stay and to 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 be competitive as a business. I don't care what your industry is or what your business model is. If you've got any size or scale, you've got to have sophistication and automation on these kinds of processes or you're just not going to be competitive. Yeah. So I like the way you are calling this as a real commitment. And I like to define this as your marriage. Obviously, you need to have sophisticated process. If you are getting married for the first time, it's very likely that the marriage is not going to work because you have zero right. experience in getting married, right? But you might get lucky as well at time. So when you look at the commitment, what are different things that you are looking at in a system, in a vendor, when you are committing to that specific vendor? Because you want to make sure that they are going to be around in the market, the technology is going to be good enough, your people are going to like the tool. There are so many different variables. And I like the way you define this as more of the journey because you require commitment. And if a lot of things are not going to work out for you during that journey, obviously you have to pull the plug at one point of time. So define what do you see in a product or in the vendor when you look for committing for next 10 years of your life or maybe entire life? Well, I see in my experience, uh, the, one of the most expensive attributes of putting in a system like this is really the implementation assistance you need. And, yeah. you know, most of the software guys have, if they don't have in-house capabilities to do implementation, they certainly have uh, certified partners. Uh, they tend to be, uh, basically, they're, cons they're very expensive. And uh, it usually tends to take more time than you originally plan to have yeah. them stick around. But I would say even more than that, because that's sort of a basic uh, component to implementation, it's, you have to have uh, consistent, continued support by the leadership. And I mean the ownership, the board of directors, the, yeah. the senior management of the company, that this is not uh, the uh, program du jour. Uh, this is not what we're using this year and we'll use something different next year. No, this is the uh, commitment we're making as a business, the investments we're making. We're going to make this work. Yeah. Uh, and then you also have a very, very good change management, uh, you know, kind of agents of change or champions that uh, that help the company culture get over that hump of resistance to change, which is natural, and really kind of assimilate to the new tool and the new way of doing things and abandoning the old things. A lot of people waste a lot of time in the first third of an implementation wringing their hands and thinking, boy, you know, the good old days. <laughs> the old yeah. system was so much better in this way or that way. And, you know, those may, uh, may even be true in a small sense in their little particular part of the pie. What they're not seeing is the big picture yeah. is those were actually holding us back. And, and I think that's where I talk about leadership. You have to have continued engagement with, the, you know, with the population using this tool so that uh, you're talking about uh, how things are getting better, even if they're getting worse right now. Why, the big why, why you're doing this, why you've put in uh, these certain features and gotten rid of others. And um, ultimately, I think you can see this culminate in uh, whether customers are happy or not. 
that's why I've always kind of liked the, the commercial involvement in these things because that's where the rubber hits the road. That's where you're hearing about customers angry about not getting their product as they wanted it or on time. And if you start to, uh, to see some benefits on that side, it goes a long way to calming the organization down and telling them to stay the course, uh, stay on track. This is a journey, not a destination. And even when we get really, really good at this, uh, well, then we're going to upgrade. <laughs> so uh, I think that's the, the path that you have to, to walk um, when you're going to when you're going to take on a change in this area. Yeah. So let's talk about the journey and obviously the budgetary planning a little bit more. So you mentioned that obviously if you work with the consultants, they are going to be slightly more expensive, right? So I don't know how do you typically plan for budget? Do you have a specific amount allocated for these consultants all the time so that they are supporting you? Do you typically develop your in-house capabilities? Now, I am actually going to tell you one story related to the decision-making in case of an ERP because ERP systems are very complex, right? As you know. Now, if you don't understand how the relationships in the data objects work or how the master data works and what implications it's going to have for your specific business process. Because think of ERP as the complex machinery and the way you are going to change your objects, that's how your your configuration is going to be. That's how your tooling is going to be inside an ERP, right? That's that's how your production process is going to be. So in this particular case, these guys decided to do things on their own because they were thinking that consultants are slightly more expensive. So what they ended up doing, and there's nothing wrong with that decision, to be honest, okay? So rather than creating the customer as the, the customer in the parent and child hierarchy, they defined some of those branches as they shift to. Okay, now they got some other tools. And now when you have to talk to the tools, that customer that this uh, tool one understand is going to be different from what tool two understands. Okay, and now what we have to do is we have to change the entire customer master. So whatever they have done, that tiny decision that they have made, because of that, now they have to re-implement the ERP, can you believe this? Okay, so some of these tiny decisions could be very expensive. So in your experience, what do you recommend in terms of the journey? Do you typically take advice from the consultants, at least at the solution architecture level, or do you typically do this internally until something breaks and then you call the consultants? <laughs> no, actually, uh, the way I've always done it in multiple companies, both large and small, is it's part of the project plan, right? Yeah. Um, you know, larger businesses have the advantage that they may have uh, functional resources, permanent headcount. That are very good and a very uh, a broadly um, staffed and well equipped uh, IT department that's capable of handling a lot of things well, like data migration, which is a key element of an ERP implementation early on. Uh, but other smaller businesses just don't have that. They're going to have to to rent that help. And so I, the way I've always looked at it is you 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 know it's a rare case when you when somebody's just going to buy a a software package and say, thanks for the uh, discs. I'll see you in a couple of uh, years when you're ready to upgrade and I'll do this all myself. Uh, most of these involve, if you're going to, if you're serious, you're going to budget in uh, having some people that are really good at implementing uh, implementations over, over multiple periods of time and months and maybe even years. So it's part of the budget. Uh, it's nothing to be afraid of. It's actually more efficient than trying to do it yourself or trying to thrift that. My only point is that there is always pressure from day one because yep. Uh, the expense of those uh, facilitators of implementing a software package successfully that says, well, do we really need these guys for another 18 months? Can yeah. we cut this off by two months? That type of thing. But I think I've always looked at it as, look, it, it's you can be penny wise and pound foolish. Yeah. 
And as long as you're driving the organization to assimilate to the tool, start using it, you're meeting milestones, you've got a good project management team on implementation, then uh, I don't fear having those people around uh, because usually I budgeted for it. But number two, I know that if I pulled the plug on them too early, I'm going to spend a whole lot more money digging out of that mess later anyway. So there's there's a place for that. I think it's just part of good project management. Yeah, but I mean, if you really think from the CFO's perspective, so let's say if I'm trying to act as a CFO of a ERP project, number one, I don't want to be in that place, to be honest, okay? Because it's a very, (laughs) it's not a comfortable situation to be in. Because as a CFO, what I want is I want some sort of reliability. But as far as my experience goes, being in this space for roughly 20 years, it's very, very, very hard to get reliability in case of your ERP project, because obviously you have a lot of different moving parts, a lot of different variables. So let's say if if your CFO is going to ask you, okay, how much money do you need from my side? How much should I allocate for you? So, okay, so initial plan is going to be, let's say, nine months, 10 months, whatever. You know, you did the project, maybe it was 20% over or whatever, and then you implemented. After that, it's going to be a journey as you mentioned. So how much budget do you typically allocate for the improvement in your ERP? Because you are going to require those to support your business goals, to support your reporting, to support your decisions. As you are going to be learning more about the business, you have to put some more money in the ERP system. So in your experience, how do you typically allocate? Do you allocate, let's say if you are spending, I don't know, man, maybe $100,000 on uh, the licensing of the ERP, then you are going to keep, let's say, 50000 for the implementation, 100000 for the implementation. What is your thought process in terms of budgeting for this? Well, when it comes to budgeting and justifying a, a, an investment in a program like that, uh, clearly, I think you have to show that you've thought through whatever period of time you think it is going to be that you need to implement including those contingencies, things like uh, keeping those folks around longer than you originally planned. But the important point is to show progress, uh, forward progress, and that uh, improvements may be the you know, six months. You've got that full cadre of, of, uh, of outside assistance helping you with a plan to step that down by you know, 10% every quarter, every month from there. And I think uh, you 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 evaluate based on milestones once you get to those places, whether you should follow the plan or deviate from the plan. Here's the reasons why. Here's the justification why. You know, I can tell you just because uh, not only because the, the um, IT uh, projects like this usually fold up functionally under the CFO. Yeah. But the CFO relies on a good implementation to get good financial consolidation capabilities, yeah. which he's very interested in. Now, they are usually right on board with you saying, you know, I don't want to cut. 20% of my consultants lose this quarter because I think we have a few problems I want to button up first before we lose that talent and they disappear back into the ether. Yeah. They know us. They've been around here for eight months. I don't want to start over with somebody new in, in yeah. you know, six months because we have a problem we didn't fix now. So those things you kind of get through in managing, managing the business like anything else as you go. But in the very beginning, I think you budget for it with a reasonable justification for a, a slope of how long you need these people for and when you taper them down and what your expectations are in getting this thing up and running and being able to stand alone uh, without those people forever. So I, I think that's just responsible uh, planning and project management. It's responsible in a fiduciary sense to your your uh, stockholders, your your board, yeah. uh, but also in your uh, your as a leader and a steward of that business, you have to think through these things and be nimble enough to know when it's going well and when it's not. And if you have to change course, you do. And, and uh, everybody tries to minimize costs and investment. But I think uh, it's better to have these go well 
and stay the course than to try to thrift them halfway through and they don't take, people revert. You know, the other lesson I always think of uh, when I think about implementations like this is the tendency of the incumbent folks to keep the current system in a parallel sense and keep two sets of books until they believe the new system is going to work for them. I've been around uh, organizations that have done it both ways. Yeah. And I think the, the most value is when you just rip the Band-Aid off, pull the plug and go. Because uh, very quickly it gets everybody aligned. You stop this uh, noise and churn that happens when people are battling old system versus new or yeah. old data. How many sources of truth can you have when yeah. you've got that kind of a situation? So uh, those are the big big lessons learned that I, that I think about when I think about what uh, these pro programs that have gone well and ones that have been a little more rocky. <laughs> so. Okay, amazing. So that's it for today. Do you have any last-minute closing thoughts or remarks for our listeners? Yeah. You know, I think one of the biggest things I always say is when you think about what makes a uh, what makes a transition and change go well, whether it's ERP system or anything else, is you have to uh, communicate over communicate with the employees that you're expecting to be users and yep. involve them. Don't just drop things on them, but uh, have to have a lot of consultation, a lot of handholding, explaining, uh, sharing successes. Those types of things are much more effective. In, uh, in implementing uh, change within an organization, cultural change that aligns with your strategy of getting a tool like this in place, then just brute force from the top-down leadership, uh, do it this way, or there's the door. <laughs> so I think that's my biggest piece of advice uh, for anybody considering a change like this is uh, involve your employees and over-communicate. Okay, amazing. And my personal takeaway from this episode is going to be, obviously, ERP systems are going to be amazing. They are going to provide a lot of value for your business, but you have to treat this as a real journey. You have to plan for a journey. It's not going to be just one-time project and then and you are done. If you treat it as a journey, then, then it's going to be more successful. On that note, I really want to thank you for your time, man. This has been a powerful episode. Well, thank you, Sam. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Of course. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Matt, head over to alco.com. It's A-L-C-O.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Rich Sage, who describes his journey and the pitfalls of implementing six ERP projects throughout his career. Also, the interview with Jim Banaski, who discusses the nuances of the distillery industry and its manufacturing and production processes. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.